welcome back to another episode of Swing Thoughts. Now in our fourth year uh, of putting out uh, Canada's most amazing mental performance golf nerd get-together. Uh, each and every week, our second season on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Uh, my name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. No, don't don't be impressed. Oh, okay, a little bit. Also, uh, golf spiritual leader, along with the uh, coach of the Guelph Griffins University uh, golf team and the uh, mental performance uh, fella at uh, the Glen Abbey Golf Academy and, of course, uh, working on his own, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And uh, producing webinars and golf get-togethers for those of us that are searching for deeper meaning in this ridiculous game. As always, uh, this program, Timothy, is brought to us uh, by TaylorMade Golf. TaylorMadeGolf.ca. And I understand there is uh, first welcome, number one. And number two, I understand there's some good news in the TaylorMade family. Oh, hang on. I need to do that. I need to unmute you. What was that? I love Zoom. It's like someone's talking. Like, you need to unmute yourself, Jane. Come on, Jane. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I got my new P790 irons yesterday delivered to me by UPS. It was like Christmas all over again. So I'm really excited. They're going to put them into action this weekend. It'll be fun. Taylor made Christmas has come once again to the uh, O'Connor Glassman family. And you know why? Because we were good. We were good boys, and they recognized that. That's right. I didn't throw a snowball at Susie Perkins next door. Uh, Sorry, that's for, that's for my fellow Calvin and Hobbes fans. Excellent. Uh, this program, of course, tailor-made, makers of the all-new Sim and Sim Max drivers. Reshape your game today. Visit tailormadegolf.ca to learn about the new Shape in Motion family of tailor-made products. Uh, of course, there's the. Uh, I got the the mo- my most recent tailor made Christmas gift was the uh, the hybrid oh. that was made in space. <laughs> the uh, this thing is ridiculous. Like I don't think your hybrid's supposed to go as long as your three would, but mine does. Uh, anyone like plutonium or something? I don't know what it's. I think what they did is they took it to the space station and they had it milled up there by aliens. Uh, anyway, check it out. And now that uh, the performance labs are uh, getting up and running again, all this information for you at tailormadegolf.ca. Uh, later on in the program, uh, GSL, that's me, and Coach Tim will discuss a recent meltdown by one of the members of our team. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> I got. Oh, okay. I, I definitely got a little grumpy this last week at golf. Golf has uh, once again decided to rear its ugly head and make me miserable. So that's oh, coming so this, up. This golf hell expedition eight or nine? No, I don't know if it's golf hell. It's just golf, and golf is hell, my friend. It is. Um, it's how we deal with golf and life. Yes, I know exactly. Show. This is what it's really about. Absolutely. Uh, But the first segment I'm really looking forward to, uh, it was uh, almost four years ago uh, this summer, I was disgusted with my golf game, you know, as as it happens. And uh, I've been searching at the time for something different. And uh, a guy I sort of got to know, Glenn Karen, said, oh, I know this man. And he's kind of a mysterious character. He doesn't really teach anymore. 
He used to be a, a tour pro, but I'd never heard of the guy. But a, but a, in the last four years, not only has he become one of my uh, very, very good friends, but a bit of a mentor to me in other areas beside golf. Uh, but I've got to know him and his family. His father is a legend in these parts. His father, John, just passed away uh, in his early 90s a few months ago. And John Henrik uh, was one of the first people to have a, a PGA Tour card in 1953. But his son, Paul, got his card and played the tour, played the Canadian Tour, and in fact, played in more than one Canadian Open. And uh, I'm excited and uh, a little bit nervous to have him on the show. <laughs> because he is uh, quite a character and one of my best friends, Paul Henrik. Hello, sir. All right, I've got to unmute you, too. There we go. I keep asking it to unmute. Can, now, I bet you he can't unmute his. Can you just take the mute off on the little microphone there, bud? On the bottom left corner? It was such a great introduction. It was. It was amazing. Okay, now is. Can you do that, bud? I keep hitting ask to unmute Zoom nerds. What what am I supposed to do here? Okay, I'll try it. Uh, Paul, go to the take your cursor and go to the very bottom left of your screen, and you can see a little microphone there. It has the word mute. Just click on there it. There he is. Hey, bud. Morning, guys. Hey, pal. Um, so that that meeting we had on the range four years ago, you've been basically telling me the same thing. Ever since, but what was your impression of me when I came running over there all pissed off? Well, you had a pull cart. Yeah, okay. There was steam coming out of your ears. And you uh, looked at, I think it was Craig, and said, is that the guy? (laughs) And Craig said, yeah, that's him. Because Watkins asked me, right? He said, do you mind having a look at this fella and I said okay Craig I'll do it for you he said no problem so the impression was uh, what did you say I can't remember now he said oh yeah watch me hit a few balls and tell me what you think and so about 90 miles an hour I don't know if you've even played 18 holes I think you might have only played 16 and ran off the golf course no I played 18 so you saw me hit a few balls and uh, you knew I was upset and then we got to know each other. Uh, you knew that I had been sober at that time, probably for four or five months, and you were a few years down the road for me. But I think you saw in me a lot of, you know, frustration around not just golf, but my life a little bit. And so we've been working it together ever since. And I quote you on this show all the time. And you've definitely helped me in my game. Well, I'm pleased that I've helped you. Um, that's my goal. I, I, I want you to do better. I want everyone to do better at golf. Golf's perplexing. It's it's a difficult sport, and I think people get started wrong. You know, they just uh, people don't uh, get the proper instruction right from the bat. You know, as soon as they get started in, in the game, it's it's a confusing thing. Now, your father was a very, very fine player. You were a great player. Your father taught. You taught. But maybe pick it up there. Like, one of the things I think you're going to find out from Paul, Tim, is that, you know, Paul can talk theory 
till the cows come home. But what a lot of a lot of what Paul talks about in the way he teaches is that most people do it backwards. They try and move their body to make an outcome from the golf club, but in actual fact, everything's about the tool, right? Yeah, the tool, uh, the, the important part. I mean, you're hitting a sphere with, with a flat surface. In the, the flat surface has to be organized. If that, if that flat surface isn't organized correctly at the moment of truth at impact, the outcome, you know, well, you understand the outcome now. But that, that in itself, it, it, that's where it, it should start. You're, you're using a tool to accomplish something. So how you pick the tool up, how you organize the tool when it's up against the, the ball, the, that's the important thing. That's how golf has started to be played, but it's not taught that way. So, Paul, what is, where do you think people go wrong? Is it very common that they're focusing on, say, moving a body part in a certain way? Like, I'm going to, say, turn my left hip, for example. What well, is your sense of where people go wrong? I mean, Tim, that's, it's a good question. If you pick up a hammer to, to, to do a job with, do you think about your stance and how to turn your body to hit the, the sledgehammer against the spike? Or are you organizing the tool in your hand first? So you've picked up a tool to to do a job with. And because it's a sport or a golf club or whatever it might be, you're you're not looking at body motion first. You're looking at organizing the thing you've picked up. And so that's where I think that the biggest mistake is made. And, And the way you pick that golf club up, the form you use with your hands, and that'll determine how you can use the, the tool. You know, I know we talk a lot about this in our you know private conversations about Paul has taught for a long time. And at one point in your life, you got sick of teaching people. And I thought it was for very interesting reasons, because as a teacher, you were finding that you really weren't making much of an improvement with people. I, I think, Howard, that... That's important. People were coming to me to learn how to swing. <clears throat> and they wanted to play golf. And I saw, I, I saw that teaching them how to swing was getting no results for them playing golf. So partway through, I think I ran the academy for 12 years. I started to try to teach people how to play golf at the range. And... And there were certain students that I took that I knew that were going were, were gonna to be decent golfers. And I said, listen, we're going to change the format. I'm going to teach you how to play golf here at the range. It worked out fantastic. So those people excelled. They went on, kept coming back with great reports. So, is your, frust- so is your frustration that people exist kind of – Howard and I talk about this all the time – is that we have this golf culture – this paradigm in which people are trying to adhere to fulfilling their sense of a model. They see Tiger Woods swing a certain way. They see Justin Thomas swing a certain way and that they have to learn to do this thing correctly. Is that where you think people kind of go off the rails? Well, Tim, there's no one way to swing a golf club. It's very obvious. You can look at the top players in the history of the game 
they're, they're none of them are swinging it alike. The one thing they do commonly is organize the tool at impact is manage the, the club and ball meeting. And that's what they excel at. So what have you uh, done? You've picked up the club. And so what have you picked it up with your hands and your forearms? There is the essence. Now you can learn to turn your body and lift the club and swing it and all those things. And balance is is in there as well. But the, the golf club and the hands that have picked it up, again, it's a tool. You're applying the tool to do a job. And that's what the great players will do. It, it doesn't matter. You can look at three, take Trevino, Nicholas, and Hogan, and everybody thought that those three fellas <clears throat> faded the ball. That's their preference, of course. Any one of those fellas can draw the ball at any time need be. So no back left pins wherever, you know, they could get at them if they wanted. So those guys were organizing the tool. Sure, they they go-to shot, it might be a fade, but trust me, they can all draw the ball. So once I learned from Paul some of the basics of how, you know, maybe I was going about learning the swing. And, and you know, I, I spent my whole life just like you, Timmy. You know, we've been so lucky, uh, people that have heard the show, the people that I've got to meet, that you've got to meet, that we've had lessons from, none of them taught me about the game the way that Paul did. And I've mentioned this on the show, like, okay, I could hit a golf ball pretty good on the range, but I really didn't understand until I met Henrik here that there was a mode of play that I didn't know about. And uh, I want to get to this part because, okay, we've organized the tool. There's the moment of truth. But when you're on the golf course, and this is what's going to be great for our swing thoughts nerds, because all those terms I talk about, when it's your turn, take your turn, playing like a professional versus an amateur, doesn't mean that you need to score like a professional. But there's a, an approach to the game, Paul, that you sort of introduced to me. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about what that is and how you drew in your experience as a tournament player to impart that kind of knowledge to me and a few other select people. Are you trying to stump me? Uh, Howard, that, that question, it almost sounds like you're asking me, where am I drawing from? So yeah, I'm drawing from practical experience without question. Um, let me think dad was playing the tour in 54. I was born in 58. So my mom was playing when she was eight months pregnant with me. (laughs) So I was golfing before I had arms and legs. Um, Growing up around the game all my life, my dad was a pro for 70 years. I've been a pro for 42 years. Most of my learning is is in the practical mode. So so I I would hit shots and experience what I was doing, and then I can turn that into language. It wasn't the other way around. I didn't ever learned anything. Uh, one of my favorite things that ever, ever happened, and people think this all the time, is that, is that uh, well, Paul, your dad was a pro. He must have taught you and coached you all the time. And that could not be further from the truth. When I was about 15 or 16, I ran into the pro shop and I said, Dad, I'm slicing, I'm slicing, I'm slicing all the time. And he looked at me and he said three words, or two words rather. He said, hook it. 
And that was the only lesson he ever gave me. <laughs> so in other words, he said, if you don't learn yourself or teach it to yourself, then you don't own it. In other words, it would be his and he'd be lending it to me. Right. So, Which so is what that, a lot of teachers do, though, right, Tim? They they just tell you, go and do this with your right elbow, but okay. and it, it doesn't work all the time. Howard, That's Tim, the, I want to tell you, my favorite students were deaf students. Were deaf? Deaf. Now, Peter and Joseph were the first two deaf guys that came to me, and they they couldn't hear or speak they were deaf i mean they could speak a little bit but a lot of sign language and lip reading and because i wasn't a a a good enunciator and the type of voice i had the vibration whatnot worked the deaf guys were always always saying show me and so to me as a former player when i was coaching the deaf it was it was the easiest because they're looking at what i'm doing and and mimicking now that's how i learned how to play golf was by watching my father who watched the greats who mimicked and i mimicked him and so forth and so then to learn how to shape the ball hit shots and all that it's done practically i've done it all my life either while fooling around or whatever i go oh that's how that feels and now i can draw a description from it because i can create it Mm -hmm. i can't I can't do it reverse. I can't say, well, I read this in a book. This is how you do it. And then go out and and hit the shots. I think what you're talking about that is you're learning from your own awareness, from your own experience, which is not an intellectual process. Uh, You don't, the body doesn't speak in language. The body doesn't speak like it needs to do this or do that, which is intellectual. It comes from your own awareness. So I love where you're going with this. And unfortunately, what it does is it runs completely counter to this cultural paradigm we're on. You can look at Instagram. There's you know this torrent of information about how to do it. Fold your elbow, rotate this, YouTube, old-style books and whatnot. But every great player I've ever met has his or her own way of swinging the tool, as you say. And from their experience, they start to develop this ability honed by their own experience is that kind yeah, of what you're talking I, I, about absolutely absolutely you can't you 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 can't uh, i shouldn't say that uh teach someone how to swing they can learn how to swing you can teach them how to play golf um i i think that mimicry or 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 that style is is lost it we used to do a lot more clinics in the 70s and 80s where I would hit balls for an hour and take questions. And that format, Tim, used to work brilliantly. People would say, Paul, well, how does that feel? Or someone would yell out, Paul, uh, can you hit a high cut for us? Or two or three of those. And then what did you do to make that happen? Well, I can tell you what I did because I know how it feels. So... We don't do that enough anymore as golf professionals. No, you're right. One after the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, what would you suggest to our listeners who this might be a concept that's kind of difficult for them to grasp is that they're going to learn from their own experience. So say someone is dealing with a slice. 
if they go to the range this afternoon or on the weekend, how can they put into practice what you're what you're telling the club us faces, about now? A great question. If the club faces pointed, let's say a right-handed golfer. Oh, let's address that for a minute. That's one of my biggest. No, no wait, Paul. No, just don't get into it because you only got four minutes. Okay. Just because okay. the right-handed, left-handed thing is going to be too much. It's not. Um, I beg to differ, but regardless. But we have three and a half uh, minutes so, now. So, don't beg. So, <laughs> so I could say it in two minutes, but I won't. Um, the club face, Tim. So if the club face is pointed to the left when you hit the ball, the ball should go to the left. You're a right-handed player. That That's as simple as that. In other words, you're, if you are if you've want to learn to teach your hands the shape of the club, Overdo it first, right. twist the club, swing with it twisted, and watch the result. That will explain to you why the other result is showing up. You know, it's funny you say that because Fred Shoemaker, who's another big fan, or we're big fans of him and a friend of the show, one of the things he talked about is if you want to learn a particular shot, you need to have the awareness of what that feels like. Whereas I think what Paul's saying, a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people just consider themselves, well, this is how I hit it. But as you've said a bunch of times, go out and overhook it. So you know what that feels like. And again, it gets back to awareness, Tim. If you're not aware of the opposite feeling of what you're trying to do, how are you ever going to learn it, as Paul would say, for yourself? Yeah, one of the greatest things, uh, I had a, a fellow on a webinar this week saying that he he's not as, he can't hit the shots he used to. I said, well, why don't you go to the range, hit the biggest slices you ever hit, hit the biggest uh, hooks, hit it as high as you can, hit it as low as you can, and you'll start doing that, and you'll start to get a sense of what it takes so that the big slice becomes a butter cut, yeah. and then the big hook becomes a slight draw. Uh, in, our last, experience. in our last two or three minutes here... Um, ta- Paul, you know, for people who don't, you know, remember, uh, I mentioned you played in a couple of Canadian Opens. Again, and I said one of the things you taught me was to, you know, play golf in a different manner. You know, the, the phrase I've used on this show, big boy pants, I got that from Paul, about being able to withstand the chaos that golf is. But what is the difference, if you can, in a couple of minutes, what do you see as a difference between decent club players and good tournament players? Uh, decent club players, I think, are still watching each other. Decent tournament players only watching the opponent, not the golf course. What about the way they approach? How, 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 what's the difference like when a, somebody listening today who's got a 12 handicap, how do they conduct themselves in a way that gives them a, a better shot at you know, maybe scoring better or conducting. Well, there's a lot of distractions, unfortunately, for the decent club players at 12. Um, So he's going to shoot an 84 or whatever. Quite likely, if I went golfing with him, he'd have a 78. He's distracted by a lot of things, but mostly the number. Mm -hmm. The, The number that it says, you know, you've got 168 and it determines the club. Well, the, the 168 doesn't mean anything, actually. You've got elevations and wind and other things to consider. You may want to play short of the green and pitch it to the cup. You may want to – there's all kinds of options. But yet, because of the device the man spent $400 on, mm-hmm. he has to trust it. So now he's gone 168 
that's my six iron, pulls it out, hits it. It's 20 yards over the green or 10 yards short of the green. Oh, I forgot the the green's way up, the green's way down, the wind's blowing front, back, whatever. So unfortunately, he's he's paid this money to tell him how far it is, but it's not how far it is. Uh, That's a great answer. Listen, Timmy, we got to take a break here for the radio people. Let's hang with uh, Henrik for five more minutes on the other side of this. What do you say? Absolutely. All right, Paul Henrik, just hanging, because I know you've got more to say. This is the shortest conversation I've ever had with you. (laughs) Oh, come on. You hang up on me all the time. That's true. I'm like, dude, I got to go. I have the rest of my life to live. It's swing thoughts. You're sitting in the car (laughs) park. Tim I'm o- in my garage. Hang on. Tim O'Connor's with us. I'm Humble Howard. We'll be back in a second here on TSN 1150. A band is blowing Dixie. Double fall time. Welcome back. It's a uh, beautiful weekend for golf. Some of the humidity has uh, gone out of the air. We're great. Uh, we're grateful, and uh, it's great to have you with us on TSN eleven fifty. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and I'm golf spiritual leader, humbleandfredradio.com, and my friend uh, Paul Henrik is here. And for uh, easily for most of the last four years, you've heard me reference, you know, some of the stuff that uh, I've learned from Paul, mostly not really so much about swinging a golf club, uh, but uh, we'll continue with him briefly. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca uh, for all kind of things. The all-new Sim and Sim Max fairways experience lower center of gravity and higher launch. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the V-Steel sole and multi-material construction. All right. Uh, I mentioned uh, just before the break, Paul Henrik uh, is going to hang around for a couple more minutes. He's played in a couple Canadian Opens. Uh, just like you, uh, Tim has had uh, all, spent all kinds of time with Mo and has thought about golf, uh, much like me, uh, every waking moment of his life. <laughs> um, hey, Paul Z, thanks for doing this. Before we uh, let you go, uh, you said you wanted to talk about something that maybe would help our listeners. Yeah, the- this is an important thing for the listeners for sure, or anyone that wants to play golf decently. And I think people need to understand this. This is important. Only the equipment can be left or right-handed. Once you put your hands on that club, you're completely ambidextrous. Both hands, both arms, both sides of your body have to play golf you're not right-handed or left-handed. Only the equipment is. And okay. that should help people. How should that help people? Because they realize that there's a left side and a right side to the motion? Well, you, you have to understand how to use your non-dominant side equally as well as your dominant side. So... Teaching for the number of years that I did, people would come and say, well, I've, I'm left-handed or I'm right-handed. I say, you're right-handed. I said, you're not, actually. You've got both hands on the club, so you cannot be left or right. You've got right-handed equipment, but you're now going to learn to lo- use your left hand, left arm, left side, the same as you would 
your right arm, right hand, right side. Uh, people don't understand that part. They're, they're adamant that, well, I'm a right-handed, so they try to use the right side only to play golf, and the resulting issue is an unbalanced golfer, and the ball goes to the right all the time. Timmy, what so do you want to say? Same, yeah. Well, Paul, let me see. Uh, a lot of my clients, a lot of people I know, struggle with chipping. Um, they kind of get a little yippy, and you know, they chunk it or blade it, whatever. So what would be an example of what you're talking about being aware that we're not stuck as a right-handed golfer for sake of example, how would someone experience what you're talking about using both sides of their body, if you will, in chipping both sides of the body in chipping? Well, you've got the top hand has to stay moving on the golf club if it stops moving, that's your left side if you're right-handed, right-sided. Mm-hmm. So if that top arm, top hand stops moving, the bottom immediately reacts and tries to find the golf ball. So the finding hand, the smart dominant right hand on a right-hander, is trying to find the golf ball with the bottom hand. That's because the top has stopped moving. So the right. left has given up, the right's gone searching for the ball, and you're chunking and thinning and shanking and all the business. So... The, the, the lead arm has to lead and continue to lead through the swing, regardless, Tim, if it's a short little swing or a longer swing. You can't stand to the ball with your left side facing down the fairway if you're a right-hander and only use your right side. Hey, hey Paul, I got a question about chipping. Let's say you're in a tournament and, you're ca- and you've got a tough little chip or a pitch off a barrel eye to a near pin over a bunker, and your caddy walks up to you and says, hey, have you got this shot? If you don't have that shot, should you tell them the truth? <laughs> yeah, you should definitely tell the truth, Howard, especially if, if it, especially if it's a par three, it's your second shot, and you're in a qualifier. Yeah. <laughs> Paul goes up. I, the, I, the, the bogey's not going to hurt. He, so I'm, I'm qualifying. I, I'm, I'm playing this qualifier. Paul's caddying for me, and it was a tough shot, and I didn't have that shot. At the moment, I was kind of nervous, and it was the 17th hole, and I was basically well within, I don't know, I was three or four over at the time. I was easily going to qualify, finish bogey, bogey, I would have qualified. So Paul walks up, he goes, you got this shot? And I'm like, my ego goes, yeah, of course I got this shot. (laughs) And then I chunk it in the bunker, then I blade it into a hazard, drop one, on in five to 30 feet, but sink the putt for a triple. And as we're walking to the next tee, I sort of said something like, I guess I didn't have that shot <laughs> today. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, he could have putted to the center of the green <laughs> and, made, and made four. So, uh, well, that you're, you are talking. Uh, so I've heard the similar philosophy from Howard for a while and now I'm getting to talk to the master about it. That's and right. That is what golfers do to themselves constantly is they think this is a shot I should hit because I'm playing with these guys and they expect me to be up to the challenge or I should have this shot. The best thing we can ever be is completely honest with ourselves and sometimes you got to take your lumps and chip out of the woods or say putt it to 30 feet and then you give yourself a more, yeah, at, at a two putt bogey. Yeah, and it's funny because I kept I have thought about that hole from time to time, and and we we would laugh about it now. But I really could have instead of facing where the flag would, I could have turned like thirty degrees to the right, 
pitched onto the green, be 30 feet away, two-putted, shut my face, walked to the next hole, and qualified easily. Uh, but those are the kind of thing. What's what's yeah. that? Been one of the low qualifiers. <laughs> sure. But but, yeah. but here's here's the take on that, Howard. Now you're you're just you were pl- just like the the masses. You had no business to look at the pin. Yes. The pin was in a professional location, and everybody's watched TV. And they said, "Well, this is what the pros do. They're going to flip the ball over that sand trap and try to get close to the hole. The hole was never." supposed to be in your perspective that's not your goal your goal is to get that shot on the green somewhere and then go for the hole so amateur golfers are trying to emulate professional golfers and it's never going to work for them all right timmy last word to you before we let paul go paul i need i want you to explain briefly when howard said a number of times when it's your turn take your turn because my experience is that a lot of guys, especially, are worried about keeping pace and all this, and so they'll hurry, say, a short little shot. What does take your turn Take your turn when it's your turn mean? Take your turn when it's your turn means that the other players, Tim, have to wait. You waited for them. That's their turn to wait for you now. So don't hit the ball until you're ready to hit it. Now, by all means, don't dilly-dally around there. Where people should pick up the pace is in between the shots. Once you get around your ball, take your time, organize your stance, organize your grip, get ready, two or three practice strokes. Take your turn means that the other players in the group are to wait for you to play. Now, you've waited for them to play. It's take your turn. And are all, you saying mainly, mainly around the green? No, all no, the way. All the way through. Yeah. Okay. But you know, yeah, we, we, I think a lot of people, Howard, are rushed because they think they're holding up the others. Well, and they also, yeah. and they're also shy to step away from a shot that they don't feel comfortable with because they don't want to be mocked by their playing partners. And one of the first things you told me was, "Don't you hit this shot until you're really, really ready to. And if you're not ready, step away from it." Now, this was for me to be a better tournament player, but I can guarantee you. If you're having trouble in your golf game this weekend, I guarantee you look back and, and you think you may have been over the ball, not felt comfortable, and then hit. We talked about this with Joe Parent. Hit it anyway. And hitting it anyway adds up to six or eight or ten shots around where you could have just stopped. So those are the- save, Most people want to save time playing golf. You want to save some time playing golf. Don't hit the ball until you're ready because then you won't hit it crooked and have to look for it. Exactly. Well, listen, man. Henrik, thank you very much. Paul Henrik, who, uh, like I said, I've been having conversations like this with now for four solid years. And the, the, not, not quite like this. Not quite. Um, <laughs> but similar. But listen, you know, I had my best summer in golf last year, not because I played great every round, every shot. It's because I was able to play okay, even when things didn't go my way, because I had just learned to approach the game in a different way. And, uh, again, thanks to you, sir. All right? My pleasure. You're coming along nicely. (laughs) Yeah, am I? Who knows? Maybe by the time I'm 70, I'll have some of it figured out. (laughs) You're quite a young 60, I'd say. All right, pal. Henrik, I'll talk to you later, brother. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Bye. Tim, bye. That's uh, Paul Henrik. I'm just going to remove him. No, removing. Hang on. There we go. So there you go. That's uh, 
That's Paul Henrik. I've referenced him so many times over four years, and uh, I got to tell you, we could do hours with the guy. He uh, he qualified for the Canadian Open. He's got stories about being on the range, you know, hanging out with Davis Love as a young player, and just it's just amazing what the guy's done. Oh yeah, it's always uh, what a pleasure for us and for our listeners to have an opportunity to hear from a guy like that. I love when we get legends on, and these people they have such a deep rich experience to draw on and there's just so much wisdom you know in in a guy like that and it's and he's fun to listen to as well he's He's a a character character, boy character and a half oh Oh my gosh uh plus i got a chance through paul to play with his dad who is in the uh he's in the certainly the i I can't remember what hall of fame he's in but he, he should be in a mall but john henrik was one of those guys i played golf with him last fall he was uh, like 91 or two at the time. He's like five foot one and still one of the best golf swings I've ever seen in person. Like hard. It's just hard to imagine a little man like that. And he was still hitting it, you know, so much on the face of the club. But his father used to say stuff to me that I still didn't get. Like I was sitting with his dad uh, 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 the weekend that he passed away. And I was just sitting there talking golf with him. And I said, you know, John. You know, explain to me again, what does it mean that you aim you aim on the way down? <laughs> like, like oh, been, I know. I was like, what does it mean? Please, John. Exactly. Because John's whole premise was, you know, you, you, you take your backswing and you decide where it wants to go on your downswing. And I'm like, I don't know what you, what is that even? Please, please, please master. Please, please master. master. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I know. It's so funny. It's like... Um, you know, both of us have had the good fortune of being able to meet a lot of amazing people, a lot of, you know, older legends of the game. And from their experience, they talk sometimes in these riddles. It's like these Zen cones yeah. trying to figure out. So I had a had a, a lesson with Mike Martz a couple of days ago, and, and Mike was in one of Mo Norman's best friends. Yeah. And I hit a shot on the range, and, and Mike says, well, as Mo would say, that shot had a lot of character. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, what's that mean? He says, well, a well-hit ball just has a sort of presence in the air yeah. and how it moves and the sound and the shape and the, all of that. And so that was Murray Norman's way of saying good shot. That shot had a lot, a of, lot character. of character. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I've learned a lot about character from uh, Paul. As I mentioned, I met him. I had been about five months without drinking, and at that time, Palsy had been about, I don't know, say like 10 or 12 years. And so I, I, I got to sort of know him through talking about that, you know, being around someone of my own age that had experienced some of the things I was experiencing. And I was playing in a qualifier at Royal Woodbine about a month later, and I finished my qualifier, and I went to my car, and Paul had... He knew where I was, and he had gone to my car and just left a little token uh, for me, congratulating me on being six months sober. Ah, and uh, awesome. yeah, I just so that's kind of the relationship we have. We don't talk, just talk about golf, but when we talk about golf, it's in a way that, and we really didn't even scratch the surface, Timmy. But one of the okay. things I can tell you about the way he has taught me and others, it's very similar to what we talk about on the show. You can't command your muscles and your body. You can't command it to do things then to make the ball react. 
you're you know i just read this recently um they literally have done this scientific research that 90 plus percent of what happens to a golf ball is all about where the face is pointing at impact 90 percent not the path not your wind up and so if your head and your brain isn't in that in that part of your golf swing, then you're just trying to move your body to pr- produce a result. And so one of the things he's got me doing more this year than I ever have is just making sure that on every swing, I'm trying to make it move somewhere as opposed to just trying to hit straight shots because that's what gets in the way of a lot of newer golfers and us too trying to hit the elusive straight ball is what makes it curve, not the other way around. Absolutely. That so connects to what he was talking about, the tool and using a hammer. So our intention with the hammer is drive the nail in. It's not to release my yes. my wrist in a certain way. So that informs the movement and the body goes, okay, based on that intention, I know what to do. Same thing. If you want to hit a big, uh, a big fade, then the body and you you know what you want to do with the face it just it's just instinctual it, it's like it you don't have to teach really anyone who <clears throat> it's like tennis if you want to hit a top spin you know what to do you exactly to rotate your wrist and the ball has but you don't think about it spin like if you, i'll give you another one that i've been using a lot lately with you maybe even you and i but definitely paul and i said it reminds me a lot of how i play ping pong if i want to hit a little cut spinner just that just gets over the net i don't think about what my body's going to do my last thought is where do i want to position the face of this bat this little exactly you know this little racket i'm using and so like if you want to cut a shot and he, was, he and I were on the range a couple of weeks ago. He says, you know, I want you to cut a shot now, but I want you to, you know, I want you to swing as hard as you want. Just don't let that face close. He said, you have command of it. Right. Whereas I think a lot of times in my game, and maybe yours too, and others, we don't really, our brain's not in the face of the club. It's somewhere in our body moving around in space. But if, if you do nothing else but hold the club face open a little longer... It produces a left to right motion. Exactly. I experienced that in uh, putting. Um, so when Blue Springs first opened, uh, I guess that's four weeks ago, the greens had been punched about a week before and they're kind of slow. Yeah. And I couldn't get the ball to the hole. And I was just, I, I was getting very frustrated in like having a 20 foot birdie putt and leaving it six feet short. I mean, come you, on. You and me both, brother. <clears throat> and, anyways, and, but once I got reconnected to oh apply club face to ball <laughs> hit ball so what happens is the ball caroms off this metallic face and it and it goes <laughs> it goes forward go. yeah exactly as opposed to oh my gosh you know i was just going through you know uh this rolodex of a putting thingies so I could get the ball to the hole. So, folks, that's, you know, Paul Henrich's gone through all this stuff. Every coach you've heard, expert type of person you've heard on this podcast has all gone through this stuff. And so we speak from from what? not because we're gurus or anything like that. It's just from our own experience. Yeah. Um, no, just when you turned your head there, I kind of lost it. Right. Um, well, I can tell you, I, I mentioned in the first segment that I had an old-fashioned, you know, oh. 
Yes. Old-fashioned meltdown. And I tell you, you, it's a great segue because it has to do with putting. Like this first four weeks, yeah, I've had a couple low rounds, but I've had a lot of rounds that have become frustrating to me uh, to the point where I had a bit of a an afternoon mope the other day. I went home and my girlfriend said, is, there, is everything okay? I went, no, no, it's not okay. And I just moped for a couple hours, and I had to have a nap. I felt like a two-year-old. And then it's because I, I'm just, you know, same thing. I'm hitting it great, and I'm three-putting a whole bunch. And that's a sort of a sort of an, a, a traditional sore spot with me. And part of it is the greens are slow, and I haven't really been, you know, getting my reps in, whatever. But the other day it culminated with a, a round of golf where through the first sort of beginning couple hours of the round, I was fine. And then as soon as there was a little pressure on me and I started three-putting over and over and over again, I finally just lost my mind sec- just for a second. <laughs> just for a second. And I threw my club. And one of the guys I was playing with is so funny. He goes, he said, that was really because I really hucked it. And he goes, that was great. And then he paused. He goes, you know, there's a podcast you should listen to. And I said, shut it, Bruce. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's a big fan of the swing thoughts. I said, even golf spiritual leader has exactly. his day. Because it just goes to show you that, you know, when you don't put this in perspective and you don't, you know, I wasn't, I was just telling myself this story again and I, and I knew yeah. I was. Yeah. Well, I mean, gosh, we, you've been on this earth for a long for time, seven <laughs> decades, a long time. So I, you have a certain way that you've navigated through the world that's kept you safe and all this kind of stuff. And, and those patterns are like 401, man. And, and so we can move into different ways. Largely, we're using our, our willpower and our conscious competence to do it. But when we're under stress, it's so easy to fall back on those patterns because they work for us our entire life, even though we don't even like the pattern. You know, like... So one pattern of yours was to drink. Yeah. And then you moved out of that pattern. and You've created new habits. It's hard effing work. You know, one of the things uh, I, I called Henrik and I said, uh, you know, we call it being grumpy. That's what he calls it. So you ever been a bit grumpy today, were you? I said, yeah, it's pretty freaking yeah. grumpy. And he said something that was interesting. He said, you know, you've been working, and it's true. I've been working every day this year, except for the week and a half I was in Phoenix in the hospital. And I really haven't had any time away from my job. Now, it's not an excuse. A lot of people have had it way worse than me. But he said to me something. He said, you know, because I sort of wrote, wrote him an oak. I said, I'm tired of hacking around the greens. And what he said was, you're hacking around the greens because you're tired. And I was like, oh, I am tired. And I'm not giving myself a break. I'm not acknowledging, like, I'm a little fatigued. I'll be honest with you, I am. And so all of a sudden I got a different perspective on that round in the last couple of weeks in general because I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe if I, you know, it becomes expectations and blah, 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 and I should be better. But it's really just like, wow, I should give myself a break because I'm kind of fatigued. Exactly. You know? So let me offer you something. So you're an overachiever, man. In all parts of your life throughout it, you became a pilot. You learned how to ride a unicycle. <laughs> That takes, I mean, that takes an extraordinary, like an unworldly amount of work and dedication and energy. And to be clear, by the way, just to be clear, I was not dressed as a clown while I was riding the unicycle. 
I didn't take it that far. So, anyways, this this way of overachieving has wow has that served you in this world in so many great ways. But whatever we set up, there's always there's always a polarity. Yeah, and it works to and there's a cost, and the cost to being uh, an overachiever is that eventually all that energy, all that output will catch up with you, and unless you recover and replenish. Uh, you become drained and then you start going like, okay, how come this strategy is not working? Yep. <laughs> it's worked a lot, but right now it's not effing working. Why is that? Well, well, you, you, you've spoken back. about this with your players and good players like me, you know, their re- recovery is part of what you have to do. And I, even though I wasn't playing every day, I was working on my game every day, certainly this week. And then, you know, I, I shouldn't say I was disappointed in myself because I'm, I just recognized in myself that something was awry. And in fact, at the end of the round, I got home and I sent the players I played with a note because really, other than that one outburst, it wasn't like I was wanking the entire way around, but that one outburst happened on the back nine. So I sent everyone a note saying, listen, I just want to apologize. That's not really my style anymore, but I recognize that. I'm vulnerable to that behavior. I just hope it didn't screw you guys up too much. And I'll try and do better next time. I just will. Please give me another chance because that's not how I want to show up in the world. That's, that's awesome. And that's what, what you were just articulating there is, our, is accountability. Well, you're t- responsible. You're responsible for yourself 100%. And when you screw up, you're going to clean up that mess. Um, if you guys want to hear more, go to O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. A little bit extra today for Swing Thoughts because there's a few more things I want to run by O'Connor. So if you want to do that, go to uh, Facebook or iTunes and like Swing Thoughts. We'd like you. And, of course, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. I'm glad you used the word accountability because what I felt really was ashamed of myself. I, I was. I, I was because I, I, I was ashamed of the fact like I'm like, oh, come on, Howard. Fuck, are we going to do this again? So, I mean, am I going to have to? But but one of the first things Henrik said to me, he says, dude, I know what your schedule has been like. and I know what you're like. And you're just tired because I just didn't have the energy you need to wear the big boy pants because big boy pants take fucking energy. They do. You know, and I, you know, and and especially when you're, you know, I have this history or this story that I've been a lifetime good ball striker and a lifetime, you know, not a great short game, which is bullshit. You know, I've, you know, I I have overcome that. I spoke to our buddy Charles Fitzsimmons yesterday morning. We were talking about some stuff and I told him, I said, I had a feverish meltdown. And he said, it's funny because I was about putting. He says, I consider you a great putter. I said, I thought so, too. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't take long for you to start this story up in your head because he said, t- he, Charles asked me, he said, well, tell me because I three putted like, you know, officially three times, but unofficially four times. And he said, what do you mean the fourth one? I said, well, I had a 65 foot putt. And he goes, just hang on a second, Howard. He says, 65 feet. And he goes on his computer and he looks up. He goes, the PGA Tour average from 65 feet is they three putt something like 30 or 40 percent of the time so why don't you give yourself a break you know what i mean like like put it in perspective you didn't three putt 
Three putting from 65 feet, man. Well, that's likely going to happen at my amateur level. That's right. And perspective is that is the key word right there. And that's why we need friends. That's why we need coaches. We need people to give us perspective because we're so caught in our own stuff. We can't even see it. So that so it's awesome that you would have those people like Paul, uh, Charles, me, Timmy, that you can that you can talk to and gain get that perspective. Because we all get caught in our own blind spots, meaning we can't see our own stuff because we're caught in it. And so just the other quick piece is that you came up with the – you have a story, as most golfers do, that a three-putt is bad. Four-putt is like the world's ending. But it, the, a story that a three-putt is a bad thing. So I the bad thing happens, ah. I must suck. I guess I don't know how to. <laughs> I guess right. I don't know how to do this. Bad thing I means I'm bad. I'm not. A, I'm not just a bad, bad at putting. I'm a bad person too, and it's none of that. We're just bringing meaning to a story that we have invented, and there's no validity to it. And why would it matter? And why you would it matter? Hit, I know. hit a putt three times, particularly from 65 feet. Now, what you say, and we've talked about this now four years, like I call this like a mini golf hell because it's like, and I think if, you, if anyone's ever heard most of our shows, you know, you and I are human. We just go through this. You went through it last summer, late summer, fall. And, yep. and you know, this has been a weird golf season. And really, shouldn't I be more grateful just to be outside? Shouldn't I have some perspective considering what's going on in the world? I get all that intellectually, but emotionally, I'm a... Just like anyone else, I'm given to being self-centered and, you know, selfishly putting more meaning on this crap than it really deserves. But, you know, it does, as Charles said to me, you know, yeah, you, this is something you think deeply about and and you want to excel at it. And when you're not, it means something to me. But in reality, you know, you still are my friend. If I three putter, I don't. Exactly. It goes back to, I remember Rory McIlroy, I re- referenced this continually. At the players last year, people said, what's the difference, Rory? Your game's come back after about a four-year drought. He says, I realize that if I don't shoot well, the people who love me will still love me. Yeah. And the thing that, that, that um, this is, is that it's this experience for you, it's going to sound weird, is a gift to you. That you're having this, you, you, that you went through this and you had this, this dark experience. Yeah, we're talking golf here, but it's only through dark experiences that we move forward. Mm -hmm. I I said over and over again that a a friend of mine said that I never learned anything on a good day. (laughs) It's only in through our dark experiences where in essence, a part of us dies and we go like, Oh, wait a sec. That part of me died, but I'm still alive. And in fact, I could see greater possibilities for myself now because I lived through this. No, you're right. And I and after that, that was on the 10-11. Jeez, that happened on the 11th hole. <laughs> anyway, after that, a couple holes later, I just said to myself, okay, what can I learn in the next 90 minutes or the next hour and 15 minutes? What can I get out of this? Because I felt sort of ashamed of myself, and I just felt shitty. 
And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and oh, then I, I, I went home that night and I, I didn't, because I had another, like I said, I moped on Sunday because I had a bad outcome. And then I, here I was on Wednesday having another not great experience, but it didn't, I didn't wear it as much. Um, and I, because I knew I'd talk about it with you. I knew I'd talk about it with Henrik and. You know, what can I learn from it? I can learn that I'm only human, that I need to be, you know, I need to have the right energy. And if I don't have the energy, then I have to ex- I have to mitigate my expectation for the day, commiserate with how much I can bring to it. You oh, know, and that's what I love. This is what I love about golf that I don't know. I don't know if this happens to squash players. No, <laughs> no, no. It's like this. It's like this spiritual journey, this time in the desert, and having to find myself and all this. And so, yeah. and and you know, like only on a show like ours would a golfer talk about going home and feeling shame, like a little boy. You know, oh, oh yeah, my man. gosh, we go through it, and that's the beauty of it. Um, I've told this story before. Um, playing golf with my mom and dad. Oh. 15 years ago at their club first off the tee with my brother pat we got these rabbits behind us these senior guys their whole thing in life is get the round over with as quickly as possible we're holding them up i'm feeling tension hole number six shank second shot a shank i take my wedge and i sort of just (laughs) go up my golf bag with kind of tomahawk tomahawk chop nice Basically, I break my driver. Beautiful. The head falls to the ground. I'm just like livid. I and, and I'm embarrassed. And so I'm ashamed. So I quickly unzip the bag, throw the club. <laughs> I've done that before. I just make this beeline to the next tee, and I'm pacing back and forth in this rage, going, "Should I just go home? Oh my god!" And then, and then my mom and dad come over and pat, and dad goes, "Hey, we missed you." <laughs> <laughs> and I look at my mom and I just go, oh, mom, um, I had a little breakdown and I uh, um, I broke my driver. <laughs> and she goes, oh, well, Tim, we all do stupid things. Yes, we do. <laughs> so and then I just went, yes, of course, I'll keep playing. And, you know, as I'm walking next few holes, I go, OK, the whole idea here is not to come and show my parents how good a golfer I am. It's to be with them to be in their experience and have fun at the course I grew up at. And with that perspective, we had a great time, and I shot like 38 on the back. Oh, that's important. It's important to tell me what you shot on the back. No, but you're right. It's a bonus. That's just the bonus. That's just the side piece. The most important part of it was spending time with them, having a great time. Yes. But, All of that. But prior to that, you couldn't have seen that. No, as an avenue of, you know, a, a way you can go. I, uh, I before we wrap up, I want to tell you this book I'm reading uh, was recommended to me by a non-golf friend who who knew I'd like it. But I'll just tell you the title because it's it's sort of apropos of what we're talking about. It's called Golf's Holy War. <laughs> wait, wait for it. It's called Golf's Holy War: The Battle for the Soul of a Game in an Age of Science. Oh, my God. I know. Who, pray tell, is the author of that tome? His name is Brett Sergalis. C-Y-R-G-A-L. 
L-I-S, and that would be a great conversation because he's, I've read about half of it. He really juxtaposes a lot of kind of what Henrik was saying, you know, like there are guys that learned by feel, but then then something changed in the time of video, and then he goes from video to track man to all those sensors you can put on your swing, and then and yet it doesn't really do anything to further the average person's enjoyment of the game because as Henrik said too, you know, like there are shots that we think we should be able to pull off because we see that that's how professionals do it or we think we should because it's our ego. But there's another game played and and I got to remember that that other game that's being played is also what interests me about the game. Oh, absolutely. And and that connects with... Uh, a briefly i'll relate this from the conversation i had with mike martz and we're talking about this infatuation everyone has with all this stuff that we need to do we think to get better and at one point is if you had a kid who was like an all-star high uh, high school player you got him into one of these academies like img or something or core in florida where they could do their schooling they spend all the time on the range on the weekend playing tournaments those academies how many really great players came from them? Maybe Paula Creamer. You do not hear not too many that the uh, the twins from Ledbetter, like uh, the two oh, yeah, girls. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. Uh, Rattanagan. They are the yeah. They're in the exception. Exception. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I, I got, I'm going to read that book. Absolutely, I love that because it's more of what golf's more about our own experience as opposed to being fed all this information and uh, whether it's from a machine or from a coach saying, "Hey, you took it too far inside that time." So I'm going to finish this by telling you something you will love. So Tuesday, so I putted shit on Sunday. Tuesday, I spend on the hottest day this year. No exaggeration, three and a half hours working on my short game. Putting, overachiever, putting. I drank three liters of water. I'm the only, and people were looking at me like, "What are you doing?" And I got headphones on. I got boards on the green. I got shit all over the place. I'm grooving my stroke, and I'm starting to really feel it. Whatever. And I was working on taking it back four inches for ten feet, eight inches for twenty. You know what I mean? All this shit. Oh, that shit. Then I go to the golf course and I just putt horribly. The first seven holes, I hit it great. I was within. I was 15 feet or less, and I'm not exaggerating because, you know, I got on a bit of a ball-striking roll. Uh, first seven holes, I'm one over par because one, one of the ones I hit in regulation was the 65-footer. But I'm one over par, and I haven't hit, other than that, anything outside of 15 feet. I make nothing. And then I realized after my third or fourth three-putt, I said to Charles yesterday, I said to him, I said, it occurred to me somewhere on the back nine that I hadn't even been looking at the hole, to be honest. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, was, I wasn't even kind of like, I'd say, okay, I'd, I'd look at the putt as a hole and go, okay, it's about 25 feet. Then I plugged in my 25-foot stroke, yep. really not taking in anything else no wonder it wasn't going anywhere near the hole because i wasn't intending like you know there was no awareness there was no out focus it was all inwardly focused which as we absolutely. know absolutely so let's get gabriel wolf back on this show he said that he said it yesterday he said listen didn't you interview gabriel wolf i go yeah i don't care i don't pay attention to that stuff <laughs> anyway <laughs> one of our best guests ever, ever. You know, no i know she's written 200 articles all around external focus and i remember when we asked her so what's your swing thought 
just hit the ball. Hit the ball. And, you know, it's funny because I've been so good at just getting over the ball and just hitting it. And yet when I get, you know, get a little closer to the green because I have been dragging every three putt I ever made with me. Uh, Anyhow, sir, I always enjoy our chats. Uh, Everyone, listen, go to O'ConnorGolf.ca. I don't know why you're not there right now, but uh, you should be. And uh, we'll just say thanks again to everybody. You're nice people. And uh, we'll see you uh, next time. All right? Right. And uh, you, you, you're gone to your ashes. <laughs> you be better than that <laughs> next time. <laughs> Hang on a second, everybody. You get a shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. But meantime...